I, as I thought about a message for today uh, through the week and even the weeks before that, I've, I've had something laying on my mind and I wanted to share with you. And it comes from Luke uh, uh, 18, 1 through 14. It's about prayer. See, we need to communicate with one another. We certainly need to communicate with the Lord. And uh, the Lord always speaks to us. Uh, we may not hear him sometime. We may not understand him sometime because of the hustle and bustle in life all around us. But, but God wants to communicate with his children. And so it, 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 it blessed me as I begin to look into prayer. And there's so many things you could talk about prayer this morning. But, but I want to stay with Luke 18 and 1 through 14. And, and it starts off in the very first verse uh, uh, as it begins to talk to us. Jesus, says, Jesus talked about the importance of praying, I want to say first. And, and, it, and the importance of praying is something that we need to think about. We need to pray consistently. And I know that that rocked the boat for some people. It says, well, I've already prayed, and, and I want to pray again because it will show like that, that I don't have any faith. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to stand on faith and, and, and trust God to move. But I read in the Scripture one time where the Lord prayed more than once about something other for some, and it comes around. So I found out myself personally that, that it's all right for me to pray more than once. Now, I think according to Scripture that we ought to listen to what it says. And, and Jesus tells us something very, very strong and this, he starts off with a parable. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not to give up. Sometimes we pray, but, and we pray, and we pray, but then all of a sudden we just get disgusted and give up. And I know what that's like even in ministry now. I've been in ministry now for quite a few years, and I've been really battling with, to keep faith in an area for the, over the last year, maybe two years, uh, close to two years anyway. I, I, I prayed about something, and it didn't happen. It looked like it was going to happen, and, and I'd slack off, and it didn't happen, and I'd pray again. It was a constant thing of praying, and, and your faith soars, and your faith begins to fall, and you have to grab it and pull it back up again. And, you know, uh, we, have to, we really have to stay on top of things, and we have to not get discouraged. But, but the flesh will get discouraged when you're praying for something, and it doesn't happen right away. See, we live in a microwave type of society that we want everything uh, uh, yesterday and we don't want to start till today or tomorrow before we reach for it but we want it yesterday where God's concerned we don't want to have to go through anything but but he teaches us something out here he said we need to always pray and not to give up see a double-minded person will pray and give up and come back and do it again but we need to stay focused we need to keep looking to the Lord. Luke 18 and 2 says, In a town there was a judge. And the next verse it says, uh, as we look down, it says, In that town there was a widow. And she kept coming to this judge. She wanted him to give her justice. Her plea was, Grant me justice, grant me justice. And we know she came more than one time because the scripture goes on, it shows us, finally he says in, the, uh, in, eight, in 14, I mean in 4 he says there, he said, finally said to himself, in 5, because this widow, this widow bothers me, I'll see that she gets justice and I'll get it quickly, give it to her quickly. And so when you begin to look at that, you begin to, uh, see where it's coming out here. And, and in 6, he says, listen to what? 
the unjust says. The unjust judge says. Backing up again to five, he says, because this widow bothers me, I will see that she gets justice. Why? So that she won't eventually wear me down. And then when you read that and you go on, he says in seven, and it's will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, for you and me that calls him Lord. He says, who prays day and night, who, are rather, who cries out day and night, according to this one. Will he keep putting them off? And eight says, I'll t- I, I tell you, he says, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then it's something that he throws in there at the uh, right after that, that, that really threw me off a little bit as I began to, to look at it and study it. And he says, will the Son of Man, however, however the word I want you, however, and he says, will the Son of Man, when he comes, will he find faith on earth? And I thought, absolutely, he's going to find faith on earth when he comes. But there's, there's something in this whole thing that we need to catch here because, you see, he, he tells us, he said, look back at the unjust judge. He said, the, because she keeps coming back, it's not that she cares or he cares about her. It's not that anybody is going to force him to do anything. He is the judge. He has the power and he has the authority to say yes or no. Don't want to see any more, but she, she wasn't going to give up. She kept coming back day after day, day after day. She kept believing that if she worried him enough that she would get an answer in her favor. And finally at last, he agrees to it and and God's word says, look what's going on. And he says, how much more am I going to do for you if you'll continue to keep on praying? See, we don't need to give up when we call on God for something other. God sees the whole picture. And he knows what is beneficial for you and I to give it to us today or wait till tomorrow or next week or so on. God's not going to give you and I more than we can handle. See, God wants you and I to make it to heaven. He wants us to spend eternity with him and the Father around the throne. He wants us to be in a place where there'll be no more hurt, no more pain, no more sorrow of any kind. But he wants us to experience the joy of the Lord. Like we sang that last verse, he is good, and he's good all the time. And see, so uh, when we make it to heaven, we'll be with a good God, and we'll be with him all the time. And we won't have to worry about having faith for something to happen. But meantime, until then, we need to shake the prayer bell of heaven every day until we get the answer that we need from God. I like that. He taught in those first eight verses about the importance of being persistently about our praying, to keep on praying. Daddy used to teach me when I was a kid. He said, son, a winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. So he said, whatever you do, keep on keeping on. And that's what we need to do as far as where our life is with God in Christ Jesus. We need to keep on keeping on trusting him no matter what the situation looks like. There'll be storms coming our life and around us, but we can go through the storms if we keep looking to Jesus. Praise the Lord. And so 
As we begin to look at that, it, it fascinated me. I don't know why I never, caught, I never caught it before, and I've read through this several times, but in this study I caught something that's just bumped out to me. In verse 9, he just chops off from talking about being persistently, and then he gives us a brand new parable, and, and it's about prayer also. It's the parable, you know it, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we've all read through it and, and just realized that here's a Pharisee and a tax collector and so on and so forth and just went on past and went on down the, through the Scriptures reading. But I found something as I looked at this was very interesting to me. It's all about pride and humility when you think about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, and in that concept of looking at that, there's three questions that I need you this morning to think about and answer for yourself. The one is, why did you come to church this morning? Why do you ever come to church? But especially this morning, why did you come to church? And what is your attitude in church this morning? And how will you go home when you leave here? That's the thought that, that I want to leave with you for right now. Verse 9, it takes off to some who were uh, reading the parables, to some who were confident in their own righteousness. Have you met people that were confident in their righteousness? You couldn't have changed them if you'd have wanted to. They knew it all. They've already read it all, and it was ready to teach you all about it, but yet there's something just didn't line up with where you've been taught all your life. See, he was speaking to some in this parable that were confident in their own righteousness. And they looked down on everybody else. I've met a few people like that. I've met some people that thought they were this tall above you, and they always looked down. Oh, they claimed to be brothers and sisters in the Lord, but it seemed like somehow or another we just never got on the same wavelength. But I've found out in my life so far as I've been following the Lord that, that it's not the fellow that thinks he's the big eye in the situation, but it's the person that's looking to God. And, and, and the Bible gives us some things to look to to see who we ought to be like if you take time to study it. Uh, the, in this parable, though, uh, Jesus teaches that two men went to the temple. They went to the same temple. Uh, they went there to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Did you catch that when you read about that? It was all about himself. I thank you that I'm not like other men, he says, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I've met people in the church like that. Or somebody come in you and they didn't want to have anything to do with them because they didn't line up to where they was looking at a person ought to walk. It's amazing to me how sometimes we forget that it's God's place to judge and we don't have a place to judge. God tells us we ought to love one another. As a matter of fact, he said by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. But the Pharisee goes on. He said, I'm not uh, like other men, robbers and adulterers and evildoers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat upon his breast that God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Scripture says here, he says, and I tell you, this man went down, this man, rather than the other, went home justified with God. See, it's not about how much you brag about yourself, but it's 
how serious you are about who you are and where you are with God. In Jesus' time, the Pharisee would have been considered a good guy by all the community around. He was, he was a religious person. And so he might have been a synagogue leader. Uh, and he, we know he was very religious because all Pharisees were religious. The tax collector, he was considered to be the scum of the earth by the community around him because nobody liked the tax collector because generally the tax collector was a Jew in a Jewish community, a Jewish culture around him. And, and he, it's amazing that he was hired by the Romans and, and he would collect taxes uh, from other Jews and, and he had no, no guideline of how much he could or couldn't take. And so uh, he, he would take more than what was required so that he could put some in his pocket. Today's world, I've heard that, that here in America that there are uh, uh, people from Mexico and from other places around that come up, and, and some of the people that worked for me one time it, were coming in across the border without visas. Uh, they told me that that guy is a coyote. I said, what's a coyote? He said, he's a people that feast off his own people, that they have to pay him when they work. And so I just kept it there. I guess you could call this guy not only the scum of earth, but a coyote, if that's the case, so, because he feasted off his own people. No wonder people didn't like him. Uh, he was considered a villain, a crook, just simple as that. Uh, in case you still don't get the parable, I want to give you a, a modern version of it. Uh, I want to do a modern paraphrase for you of the parable. And call it the parable of the deacon and the drug pusher. I'm going to read a little bit here because I want it to soak in more of our time. As Deacon Bob walked into the church uh, one Sunday morning, he was disgusted to see Larry there. Larry was a drug pusher. He just got out of jail. Bob warned some of the ushers around, watch this guy because he's a crook. Before the offering, though, it was Deacon Bob's time to pray. And so he walks up proudly in the front before people. And he begins to pray. And this is how he prays. I thank thee that I've been a deacon in this church for 20 years. I remember when I built this church with using my own two hands. Now, you've got to realize he's talking to God and God knows everything and God don't need to be reminded about what I've done or what I'm going to do because God already knows about everything. He said, I thank thee that I haven't missed a single Sunday in 10 years. There were times, oh Lord, when I was sick, but I came anyway. And I thank thee that I haven't missed a single Sunday in 10 years. There were times, oh Lord, when I was sick I, and it came anyway. He said, and Father, thou knowest I used to sing in the choir until I was persecuted by the song leader. I wouldn't sing my, because he wouldn't sing my style of music. But I can endure persecution just like thou didst. Thou hast blessed me financially, so I've been able to give you much more than 10%. I thank thee that I'm morally pure. I don't drink and I don't curse on Sundays. And I smoke unfiltered cigarettes. And I don't use drugs or sell them like someone who is amongst us today. 
Lord, we need more people just like me in our church. Bless the gift and the giver. Amen. See, so it was all about Deacon Bob. That's about like it was with the Pharisees. It was all about him. But then, meanwhile, Larry the drug pusher that just got out of jail after hearing the message about God's forgiveness, he slipped to his knees and began to pray. Holding his face in his hands, he sobbed gently. God, he said, I'm a sinner. I'm so sorry. I don't deserve it, but is there any way that you can forgive me? Please, Lord Jesus, I need you. The next is, I tell you, it was Larry, not Deacon Bob, that went home that day right with God. See, you don't. God doesn't need somebody bragging about what you've done to church. He needs somebody coming to church, not trying to lift themselves up and boast about how good we are. But we need to be boasting about how good God is and how unworthy that I am to what God has done for me. When you admit you like dirt compared to God's purity, he'll pick you up and he'll clean you up. And so with that, I want you to just think about the three questions. First one being, why did you come to church this morning? In the parable, both the Pharisee and the Republican came to the temple to pray. When you examine their actions and their attitudes, you'll discover they went for two totally different reasons. I can remember a time in my life when I came to church wasn't because of the reason I come today. The first time I came to church, uh, I really didn't even like church folks. I came because my wife pressured me to, and my father-in-law pressured me to. And I came, and, and I share with you, I came and I sat in the church, and I looked around, and, and I even wondered why I was there for a while. There were some other things I did in the church, like the Pharisee, too. I carried my pistol with me as I carried everywhere else. <laughs> oh, yeah, preachers done that when before they got saved. I knew a black man from Louisiana that, that he always carried a 45 with him everywhere he went. But when he got saved, he laid his 45 down at home and picked up an old black Bible he had. And he trusted it from then on. You have to learn to trust God. It just don't happen sometimes overnight. But you've you re- got to realize that you're not where you need to be. And you let God lead you and guide you and direct you. And he'll lead you right. So when, when I ask you the question, why did you come to church? You need to think about it. We look at the examples and attitudes were for two different reasons those came. The Pharisee came totally, obviously, to be seen. He, he went to the temple for others to see him. To him, it was a public performance that he pulled off. There's people come to church, and they put on the dog, so to speak, and they begin to try to 
to look the part and act the part, but when they leave and go outside, they're far from it. That's kind of the way he was. Let me, let me just take you a little further here. He had given much thought about what he was going to do when he got there. I believe that he knew that he was supposed to stand up and uh, pray over the offering and stuff. And so he thought about what he was going to wear and where he was going to stand and what he was going to say. Why? Because he had an audience and he was going to perform for that audience. He was there to be seen and to be heard about his kind of behavior, though, the Lord warns us. And here's what it says in Matthew 6 and 5. But it says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. What he's saying there is don't just get up there and make a show. It's all right to pray. Matter of fact, we need to pray. But we need to be serious about what we pray about. Sometimes people think they've got to pray this long, great, swelling prayer with all the great words that sometimes you almost need a dictionary to figure out when God says just a simple prayer. Just be true from your heart. Just tell him how you feel. And he'll meet you there. Matthew 6 and 5 again says, When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. For they love to stand pray in the synagogues and in the streets to be seen by men. If you get up in church and you get up to pray, and the only reason you pray is so as people can hear you pray, then you need to sit down. You need to stay sitting down because it's not going to do you any good. As a matter of fact, it'll work again you. There was a little story that I shared with you about a little boy, and, and it was kneeling by his bed, and his mother was teaching him how to pray and, and lead him through his nighttime prayer. And, and all of a sudden, he began to shout at the top of his lungs, Dear God, said, I've been a good I've been good, real good this year, so please let me get a new bicycle for my birthday. His mom said, son, son, God's not deaf. You don't need to yell. He said, yes, I know, mom. God's not deaf, but grandma is, and she's in the other room. <laughs> See, that's the way we are sometimes with, uh, with, with our service to God. We forget, and we... Get out there and flush a little bit. We need to, we need to watch ourselves for that because we need to be serious, really serious about God. And the only way you can do that is get to know God for yourself. And you'll not get to know God without you come through Jesus Christ because he's our Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for you and I. And if you get acquainted with Jesus, if you don't already know him for your personal Savior, it'll be the greatest thing you've ever done in this life. Get acquainted with him, and when you get acquainted with him, and you that already know him, just acquaintance isn't enough. You need to get a relationship with him, get a fellowship going on him, so as you can get to know him on a personal level and know that he is my personal God, that, that he'll talk to me, and he'll talk to you, and you can take the, the biggest problem you've got to him, and he'll help you through it. He said he'll make a way where there seemeth not. But we have to learn to trust him. We have to get past being like the little boy that we know God's not deaf, but we pray in such a way that we're hoping someone on the sideline, someone that we can look at with these eyes and know that we have favor with them, that they'll take over because God doesn't need your help or my help to do what he wants to do for us, that that we need for him to do. The tax collector represents a, another reason you might have come to church today, to seek the Lord. The tax collector showed up because he was in trouble and he believed God could help him. 
Do you come this morning because you believe God can help you? I hope you did. Because if you did, you come to the right place. Because the Lord I'm talking about, there's nothing impossible for him. He can meet your smallest needs, but he can meet your greatest needs. He'll be there when your smallest crisis, and he'll be there to take you through your greatest crisis if you'll just trust him and call upon him. That's all you need to do. The tax collector revealed uh, with his body language his unworthiness. He didn't even go up front. He didn't focus on people there. He focused on God. And that's what you and I need to do. We need to focus on the living God. We need to focus on Jesus Christ. If he died for you and I on the cross so that we can be saved before we was ever saved, how much more will he come to our rescue if we call him Lord? Praise God. He focused on God, not somebody else. So I ask you, why are you here today? Is it just part of your weekend routine? Or maybe you felt guilty if you didn't come? God says in Jeremiah 23, or 29 13, he said, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In other words, what he's saying is you're never going to find me until you seek me with all your heart. When you really want to, other words. When, you really, when you're really looking for God more than you're looking for grandma in the other room. When you really focus on God and, and leave everything else out of the picture. When it seems like there's no way that it can come to pass what needs to happen when your situation. Uh, uh, when you focus on God, he's a God of the impossible. He can make all things happen. God's a good God. He cares for you and I. Secondly, what's your attitude in church today? In the parable, Jesus showed two totally different attitudes with people can play and display in worship. And, and the Pharisee presented an attitude that said, I'm proud of my goodness. What he really said was, I'm proud of who I am and what my standing in the community and this, and I'm not going to give it up for nothing. I knew a man one time in a church, he was a deacon in a church. And he come to me and he said, I don't see any need for all the emotionalism at all you Pentecostals show. He said, I've been serving God for a number of years and, and I haven't seen a need for it. A year or two later, he was out of the church, backslidden back out in the world. You see, we're not strong enough to walk on our own. And we can't brag on what we can do because without God, with very little we can do. But if we'll trust the Lord, he's able to perform miracles in our life. And his miracles are not limited to what he can do. Now, pride is, uh, uh, God talks about pride, but pride in some cases is good. It's good for you and I to be proud of, to be Americans. That's a pride that's okay. Or proud that, that I get to come to a certain church. And, and I, I say, I'm proud that I get to speak to you this morning, and none of you have run off and left me standing here alone. Uh, I'm proud of that, you know. But, but I, I'm just proud that God would allow me to speak this morning because he didn't have to. Those things are okay. But there are some instances that pride's not so good. Let's talk about it. The Bible is warns against the dangerous kinds of pride, and it's characterized by three things. Self-love. Some people are so sucked up on their own self-love, they're no good for nothing else because all they can see when they look in the mirror is how they love themselves. Oh, there's people that claim to be Christian, but still they're in love with self. And we need to realize that we need to love God. 
Secondly, there are people that sucked upon egotism. They're so full of pride about their egotism. And then there's that arrogance that people get hooked up in sometimes. Those things, to have pride in those things are totally wrong. Uh, this kind of pride is what was revealed in the prayer of the Pharisee. He bragged that he fasted twice today. Instead of bragging on Jesus, he bragged on himself. That's pride. Pride loves to talk about I. Pride goes before destruction, Proverbs tells us in 16 and 18, and, and it goes on and says, and a haughty spirit before fall. According to Isaiah 14, the devil wants the beautiful angel. Pride filled his heart, and he developed an eye problem. Listen, he said, I will be like the most high. I'm going up. But God says, no, Lucifer, you're going down. See, pride will take you down every time. All of us should, here in this building, we should all have an occasional eye examination to find out if we really all about me or we really going to give God the praise. Pride sees the faults in others. The pride was quick to criticize the tax collector, or he could see all of his faults, but he could see none of his. Pride blinds a person to his own faults, and it'll magnify every fault that I can, everybody else has got around me that I can see. Pride blinds a person, saying it again, pride blinds a person of their own fault and magnifies the faults of others. Now, the tax collector expressed a whole different attitude. His attitude was this. I desperately need God. I wonder, you here this morning because you desperately need God and need him to intervene in your life? We need God, folks. We need him every day of our life. I don't care if you've been coming to church for the last 40 or 50 years. If you just started today, you need the Lord in your life and you need to let him lead you and guide you and direct you and he'll guide you where you need to be at the time you're there. And he won't take you down the wrong path. Here's what he said. I desperately need God's mercy. He, er he uttered seven simple words with a broken voice. And here's what he said, full of emotion. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That was a total sum of his prayer. And God came on the scene. If you pray a simple prayer like that, God will hear your prayer. If you hear this morning and you don't know the Lord, you can sit right where you are and you can whisper that prayer, Lord, I desperately need you in my life. And he'll meet you right there then. The final question to answer is this, how will you go home? We've all come to church. I'm sure some have come of one reason or another, uh, not all alike. But the, the final question is how are you going to go home from this service? Last week don't count. Next week don't count. It hadn't got here. The, the parable, Jesus said only one of the two people went home justified. Just like in the parable, you go home today, basically one of the other conditions, one of the two conditions. The unchanged religious 
went home just like he came because he was proud of who he was. The Pharisee didn't change a bit. He went home just like he came. However, when we look at it, we see the drug pusher, tax collector, the person that didn't know God, the person that did all the wrong things. He heard the message and he fell on his knees way in the back of the church by the pew. He said, Lord, forgive me. And he sought God and he went home changed. He entered church burdened down. He wouldn't even lift his head. But when he cried out for mercy from God, he experienced liberation and forgiveness from all of his sins. That's the important thing about coming to church, folks, is that we, that we be honest before God and honest with ourselves and we lay it out on the line where it said and ask God to forgive us. People have been serving God for a number of years that make mistakes. That's the same thing with us. We need to ask God to forgive us and turn it over to the Lord. Those, those three things about prayer, it's important that we pray. You can never be a successful Christian and not talk to God. And by the way, any conversation is two-sided. Anything that's one-sided is a lecture. A lot of God's people need to learn how to talk to God and just wait and sit before the, God, the Lord and let him talk to us. But we need to talk to the Lord. We need to fellowship with him. We need to tell him what's going on in our life and what we need. The first part of that parable in the first eight verses told us that we need to not give up on praying. Just because you live in a microwave society doesn't mean God's a microwave God. He knows all, he sees all, and he fixes all if you'll trust him to do it, and he'll do it on his time. So ask him, be persistent about it. Keep on praying until you get an answer. Secondly, if you won't be what you need to be in God and you want God to bless you and, and, and have a good life in Christ, you've got to not be like the Pharisee. You've got to be honest with God. It's not about you and it's not about me when I talk to God, uh, uh, except for the needs I have. But we need to realize that if I do any good thing in this life, it's because God used me to do it. He has all power and he sees all and he knows all. We don't need to remind God of what all we've done like the Pharisee did. He already knows it. He knows what we're going to do before we do it. And he don't need to be reminded what we did yesterday, last year, or 10, or 20, or even 50 years ago. He, he never forgets it. He doesn't have some timers. He knows all the time, all and everything. So if we're going to talk with God and pray and ask God for things, we persistently do it. We don't give up. We don't be like the Pharisee. And we be honest with ourselves and with